0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
1: Money Talk.
0: Good morning, this is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast Money Talk for Friday the 12th of May. And just a reminder that we're on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And if you go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favourite podcast apps. This podcast is sponsored by Surfin Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's consumer prices increased at their slowest rate in two years in April. China's annual inflation rate fell to 0.1% year on year from 0.7% in March and that missed market estimates of 0.4%. It was the lowest print since February 2021. The producer price index fell for a seventh consecutive month, losing 3.6%, faster than a 2.5% drop in March, partly due to softening commodity prices. The Bank of England has increased interest rates by 25 basis points to 4.5%, the highest level since 2008. That's the 12th consecutive rate rise from the UK central bank, and it warned that if there were to be evidence of more persistent price pressures, then further tightening in monetary policy would be required. Wholesale monthly inflation in the U.S. rose by less than expected in April. The producer price index, often viewed as a proxy for where inflation is heading in several months' time, eased for a tenth straight month to 2.3% in April from 2.7% in March. And that's the lowest reading since January 2021. It was also below forecasts of 2.4%. And excluding volatile food and energy prices, core PPI rose a monthly 0.2% while its increase over the past 12 months moderated to 3.2%. The Philippines' first quarter GDP grew 6.4% year-on-year, that's higher than the 6.1% expected by economists, and after a downwardly revised 7.1% gain in Q4 of 2022. This was the eighth straight quarter of expansion in the economy, but it was the lowest growth in that sequence. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities, and William Marr, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. With a view from Australia, it's Toby Lawson, Director at Staten Advice. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. <laughs> U.S. stocks were mixed on Thursday as concerns about the health of some regional banks undercut optimism that the Federal Reserve could pause interest rate hikes after better-than-expected inflation data. The S&P 500 index declined 0.2% to close at 4,131, breaking a four-day winning streak. The Dow declined for a fourth straight day, shedding 222 points, on 0.7% to end at 33,310. The Nasdaq Composite added 0.2%, ending the day at 12,329. Shares of PacWest tumbled almost 23% after the Los Angeles-based bank revealed it lost almost 10% of its deposits in the first week of May. The majority of withdrawals were on May the 4th and 5th, following reports that the bank was exploring strategic options, including a sale. The news hit the share prices of other regional banks, dragging the KPW regional banking index 2.4% lower. Alphabet shares jumped over 4% higher to trade near their highest level since August, and the shares have gained more than 32% so far this year. Google announced a range of new artificial intelligence features at its developer conference on Wednesday. Hong Kong stocks gave up early gains and turned lower. The Hang Seng ended the day 18 points, or 0.1% lower, at 19,744. And this morning, futures markets are pointing to a small decline of 0.1% for the Hang Seng at the open. The tech index jumped 1.3% higher. In the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell a third of a percent to 33,000, sorry, to 3,310. Bank shares rose once again after Beijing asked commercial lenders to cap some deposit rates in a push to support the economy. The change would imply a drop of about 40 to 55 basis points from previous ceilings. A gauge of Chinese financial stocks jumped as much as 1.5% following the news. And Chinese electric vehicle maker Li Auto surged 17%. That's the most in six months after reporting record quarterly earnings. The car maker made a profit of 933.8 million yuan. That's about 135 million US dollars in the January to March quarter, reversing losses of 10.9 million yuan last year. The company delivered almost 53,000 units in the quarter. That's an increase of 66% from a year earlier. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com.
1: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis.
0: Let's go and welcome our guests. We have with us Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Good morning. And also with us up in Beijing this morning is William Ma, up in in Shanghai, I should say, William Ma, who is Chief (laughs) Investment Officer of Grow Investment Group. Nice to talk to you again, William. Hey, Peter. Let's start uh, with the Chinese economy. China's consumer mm-hmm. prices increased at their slowest rate in two years. Mm-hmm. According to the National Bureau of Statistics yesterday, annual inflation just 0.1% year on year, um, declining from 0.7% in March. I mean, Francis, what a big difference between the U.S. and other economies <laughs> and, and China. How, how do you explain this?
2: Well, I think uh, the Chinese economy been insulated from the, the global market, for quite some time because uh America tried to uh uh uh, uh cut o- cut off uh, China in terms of tech and, and other things but 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 the important thing is uh uh, China managed to keep its energy costs a- at bay. I think uh, we did not. Uh, China did not experience a sharp rise in the energy costs, and then the, uh, in enrichment, the price of uh, grocery food items actually fell. And uh, so uh, that sh- that, that's why the CPI is down to uh, 0.1%. But it, it also shows a, 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 an alarming feature in that um, demand is uh, not very strong. I think uh, that's why the SCBI is not uh, hardly growing at all and uh, it, it does not go well when you take con- uh, take into consideration of the PPI which is falling for five straight months that shows the uh, manufacturing sector the factories especially the export sector is not doing that well uh, import is falling uh, uh, by 7.9%, but export is growing by 8.5%. Both both are not very uh, encouraging. So uh, uh, some people uh, believe that China can achieve a 6 per, 6% growth this year, but it, with these kind of figures, I think you better stay with 5.5% growth. William, if, if you take this data and then also the trade data that we had
0: um, earlier from the week uh, where, where imports uh, dropped quite sharply, it does tend to suggest that demand is looking quite weak, doesn't it, on the mainland, particularly in the manufacturing sector?
3: Yeah, exactly. I think on the export side, you know, definitely this is uh, something to watch out for. I think a lot of it has to do with the um, the orders, you know, from the U.S., uh, in particular, when we speak to some of the um, uh, business owner of the export companies, like in the textile in Lingbo, I think their orders in Q1 this year has uh, dropped quite a bit. But um, they're also telling us that actually, you know, after this round of, you know, slowing order, they are seeing orders slightly coming back. So on the export side, I believe it would take at least a quarter of two to recover because of the kind of like U.S. recession concern. And Peter, on the China side, I'm relatively less bearish compared to some of the peer groups. It's because I think if you look at the CPI number, besides food um, from on the ground, domestic demand, I can see the recovery is there. In particular, if you look at April and May. And second, if you look at some of the bigger tickets item like the cars, right? I think the number is also reasonable. May 1st travel is reasonable, And um, I think uh, from my experience, it has to be two steps in terms of cycle, right? The first step is consumers start spending and then business owners see, oh, the economy is not as bad as you thought. And then they start hiring. So Mm -hmm. I believe, you know, at least the first leg is already here and I'm less bearish compared to, you know, some other people, you know, in the market.
0: Are you worried William about the the divergent trends that we're seeing now between the service and manufacturing sectors where the the service sector looks quite strong doesn't it but manufacturing is in the is in the doldrums do they sort of affect each other at all
3: <laughs> Yeah I do I do to be honest but with hindsight look look at what happened since you know January because if you look at the reopening trade is merely about 4 months so what we have achieved in the last 4 months is it's quite miracle from my perspective that the mm-hmm. consumer demand is so quickly and on the manufacturing side we have to give them some time and unfortunate i think the uh, kind of like demand is both quite weak from global and to some extent on the China side. So I think the figure to watch, if you like, for the next few months is whether, you know, the order will coming back, whether that is sustainable. Relatively speaking, I think, um, we that there could be some surprise on the upside, in particular in the equity market, because uh, most people are quite concerned about it.
0: Francis, it's going to take presumably a pickup in the global economy uh, to really help China's manufacturing sector, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Look at one uh, very hot consumer item, which is the smartphone. Uh, The market says the uh, demand for a smartphone is down 15 percent this year. And uh, you see the uh, uh, the chipmakers uh, TSM and Samsung reporting uh, a lower sales for the uh, uh, for 2023, and especially for the second half. Uh, and and I think what's happening is that the sharp increase in interest rate in Europe and in America are really starting to hurt uh, consumer demand. People have less to spend and they are they are pushing off uh, uh buying a new smartphone that's why you uh, you have uh, slower the de- uh, manufacture manifest- uh, demand for manufacturing goods all across the globe it's not just a china phenomena i think uh, other export economies like japan korea and taiwan are facing the same problem mm. William, there's been a lot of talk recently
0: among Chinese le- the leadership to, to sort of build a new modern industrial system mm. where they want to focus on things like high tech, AI, electric vehicles, that, that type of thing. Mm. Um, mm. What are they doing to try and achieve these sort of breakthroughs? Because they, they see it very much, don't they, as they need to fight back against the US and its industrial um, sort of policies. Mm. But are, are you seeing signs that China is making progress and this is starting to feed through?
3: Well, this is um a long-term plan and target, and Peter, it didn't start like this year or so. If you wind the clock back about a year or two, I think there are certain measures being in place. For example, the original one is the listing of the StarBot, right, the technology board in Shanghai. That was quite a smart move from my perspective that you provide exit for some of the tech company to get listed and get proper you know funding and capital the second is on the private equity and venture capital side uh, i'm seeing some domestic uh, government they are launching uh vc funds you know that they invest and attract companies you know set up and in their own provinces and cities and potentially kind kind of like you know invest in a high-tech area i think that part is ongoing what is the latest move, if you like, or development is? I'm seeing some of the VCPE fund uh, start raising capital from the local government again. So, which means the direction uh, from the Chinese government in subsidizing or promoting technology is coming back. You know, after the COVID, this is a good sign. But again, Peter, I think it would you know take a while before you know those companies grow bigger and grow grow listed. And uh, last but not least, I would you know envision. More kind of like uh, certain sector-driven technology reform. One one key catalyst or sign that I saw in the last month or so is um the 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 car manufacturing sector. If you look at the Shanghai Motor Show, actually the reception of the local Chinese brand is outside my original expectation which if it discontinue, it will drive kind of like a whole new, you know, value chain across the system. For example, we were being pitched some of the um, kind of like supply chain for the car manufacturing Companies, for example, components in terms of you know laser, radar, you know, or some of the sensor, or some of the motor. If you recall, back in the eighties, you know, um, in Japan, the automobile industry was a key driver for a lot of you know manufacturing sector. So, if this trend of you know um, Chinese car uh, manufacturer continue, I believe there is also one good component of you know local driven. Uh, kind of like manufacturing uh, support, you know, besides the many people talk about uh, AI or chip manufacturers
0: um francis ai i mean william just mentioned that the big topic of conversation at the moment isn't it? So it's,
2: uh, yeah everybody's getting getting into it uh, google uh, uh, was the last uh, latest uh, entry into the market google share prices rose uh four percent overnight so uh, uh the, the 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 battle uh the war is just started uh, and nobody knows who will win because uh when I, when I type my, uh, use my word, uh, uh late recently, they, they automatically put us some phrases as part of the AI, I, I assume. So, so, but it's too early to say who, who will, who will come up, uh, on top, uh, Microsoft or, 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 or Alphabet, uh, or any Chinese companies like SenseTime and, and Baidu. But uh, uh, it will take some time before we we can identify some winners. It's Mm. just like uh, the early stages of the tech boom. Uh, It took several years before Tencent and Alibaba came out winners. Mm. But I hope this round, China, uh, several winners can emerge from China. Mm. and, And this is what the stock market wants and needs.
0: Well, what about Baidu, William? They've got their um, Ernie chatbots, haven't they, which they've, yeah. uh, they've released. Yeah. Where do they fit in so sort of the global picture in terms of being able to compete with Google and Microsoft's Bing? Uh,
2: well, I, I, I don't know if the Chinese AI can compete globally because, because they, uh, 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 they, they don't have complete freedom in providing information. I think that is the one drawback in AI from China.
0: William is it a good sort of theme for uh, for Chinese uh, Chinese markets or is it a bit too early at the moment to be able to uh,
3: not 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 at this point Peter you know if you really want AI I would recommend alternative investment instead If it's too intelligent in China because to be honest there is a lot of you know alpha and new strategy in China like convertible bond trading you know CTA you know some of the quant or up strategy but I think what happened in the AI sector in the last Three months uh, is a good sign that there are risk capital to be deployed, because you know if you look at the longer term, you know the China Asia market lack of a major theme in which you see a lot of momentum is going there. But I think you know the high kind of like so-called speculative phenomenon or sharp appreciation of the AI sector indicate. The market sentiment is not as weak as people thought in the last two months. You know, there are risk capital to be deployed, but people kind of like lack of a, a medium term kind of like theme that they wanted to, to get deployed. And, you know, to a less extent, you know, the banking sector or some of the uh, SOE kind of like market rally in the last two weeks or so, meaning that there are a rotation. So there is a, that is the early sign of a bull market recovery in the medium term, if you like, rather than people are very defensive and not investing in anything.
0: Francis, one one theme that's emerged mm-hmm. um, in the Chinese market this week, which I have to say has taken me by surprise, mm. is uh, the big banks. We've uh, yeah. seen quite a big rally yeah. in, in these big <laughs> banking stocks, which is not where I have to say I would have put my my chips. But uh, how would you?
2: What's going on there? Well, uh, that's really from last week, where I think one of the uh, uh, stock uh, market regulators said. Uh, we have to look at the uh, ch- uh, the uh, Chinese shares with a special characteristics and special valuation, uh, meaning that their valuations are really way too low, mm. and, and, uh, uh, and in, in Chinese uh, 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 language there is what the the Chinese special stocks. Uh, like uh, all the banks, insurers, and then the the oils and the telecoms, uh, meaning the old economy stocks, all of a sudden soar. But in the past two or three days, actually, it fell. Uh, I think now has some support. I think uh, uh, what cannot be denied is that these old economy stocks actually uh, have very low valuation and very high yield. Mm. And look at the banks, their P-E ratio is... uh, four to about six times and the yield is something like uh, six to eight percent they are really good bargains so previously people uh, feared that they might suffer bad debt and i think uh, they can control it so so i think even right now i think these uh, chinese special stocks are good values for the money
0: William, would you be a buyer of, of these stocks? I mean, it's true that they're cheap, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, banks in uh, on the mainland traded around 0.6 times book value, but they've always been cheap, haven't they? That's been the, the case for a long time.
3: No, well, actually, yes. And we, we have been overweight, you know, this sector for a few months already uh, for, for this particular reason that Francis mentioned. And I believe the trend will continue, you know, until the yield go down. And perhaps, you know, valuation go up uh, or there are other major new themes coming up, because if you look at the retail investor or some of the high net worth, they are still quite, quite defensive. Uh, but they are, again, not uh, just happy about getting, you know, three, four percent, you know, from the deposit or some of the fixed income fund. Then when they want to take their feet, you know, back to the market, they look for safety. So no matter in domestic RMB asset or some of the U.S. dollar asset, you know, listing outside. And the second concern they have, you know, globally is the U.S. market is start correcting. And at the end of, you know, interest rate cycle and recession, you know, um, the traditional high flyer like Apple alike may not be their favorite kind of light stock. And this type of you know high yield stable stock have some potential upside if the market recover but stable yield is getting attractive so the short answer is we we are positive and we believe the trend will continue at least for a few months
0: and yeah, the, the, Francis these uh, if these stocks do go on a big rally it, it could really boost the uh, the the overall market oh, the bro- definitely, the markets
2: definitely especially when we had that big tax in the doldrum we we need some uh, uh, new hotspots, some focus to 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 ready the stock market because this the trading below twenty thousand for quite some time. I think this is uh, terrible for for the Hong Kong market. You you look at turnover is under one hundred billion a day, and it's really. Uh, a small stock market in terms of turnover, and also the IPOs are not performing well. Uh, yesterday's IPO closed something like uh, twenty to thirty percent below the listing price. So uh, there, there is doom and gloom in the stock market, then we really need something to to boost our confidence.
0: What about William the the US? Do you think that could uh, boost some confidence a little bit because the inflation data seems to suggest that we've seen this week that the Fed is starting to get control of inflation in the US and it's starting to come down? Uh,
3: yeah, yes, and no, Peter. I think one of the major theme globally is a uh, sticky inflation and weak banks. I think the bank situation is not being resolved, you know, uh, clearly near term because there will be more regulations put into place. And one of the risks that, you know, we are we are sharing with our clients is the real estate market in the US, the mortgage part. If there is will be more regulations, you know, what happened to the ABS, MBS, would it be another systematic risk, you know, and trigger a collapse of the US market? And second, inflation has been quite sticky. I think, you know, a month data would not comfort people that, you know, the inflation is definitely going down, you know, oil price can go up again if there is any geopolitical risk, you know, happening. So, in short,
0: we are staying quite defensive in the U.S. market. Francis, well, I, I'm <laughs> struggling to get too excited about yeah. the decline in inflation. I mean, if we look at uh, mm-hmm. the consumer price index, it fell just 0.1%, yeah. <laughs> 0.1% lower from a year ago. It's uh, it, it's very slow, <laughs> isn't it, in, in getting coming down?
2: Definitely. Even though you have a sharp drop in yeah. the, and the price of fuel, uh, especially diesel, uh, still – uh, the food prices are still staying uh, quite high and also the, uh, uh, the renters, they, uh, even though it moderated a little bit, but, uh, but still quite high. So, uh, right now they have inflation rate of 4.9%, but I doubt that mm. the U.S. inflation rate can get down to the 2% level target mentioned by the Federal Reserve. I, I don't think that they can, uh, achieve it this year. Uh, a shot of a serious uh, recession when you have uh, uh, unemployment rate going up to about ten percent. So, so I think uh, we we just have to wait for inflation to come down. Maybe it will take more than six months. Uh, uh there, There's no way that it will go down to two percent by the end of the year.
0: William, what do, you, what do you think about that? How do you think the Fed can get inflation down to its target without causing a massive recession in the process? Because it, it almost seems that it looks like they will have to raise interest rates by quite a bit more if they want to get to 2%. Yeah,
3: I think at this point, interest rate has lesser impact in kind of like suppressing the demand, if you like. But um, I think it has to go, inflation, if I have to go down, from my perspective, two reason. Um, commodity price continue to collapse or go down in which are uh, in envisioning global recession i think that is a key component like energy right so mm. there's number one number two the the consumer confidence so the economy in u.s has to go down you know significantly so that people stop their kind of light spending pattern and spend less then inflation will go down but i think the sticky part would be the wage right so i was in the states in february this year and i was told you know there is a lot of restaurant people you know they are they are quite expensive so that part is quite hard to go down Mm -hmm. if you go down wages i think there will be unemployment and people would not be happy about it so i think it has to come from the commodity side as well as maybe the demand side
0: Francis, mm. final th- um, final thought on the debt default um, <laughs> crisis. Donald Trump was basically saying yesterday, "Just oh, go and default unless oh, yeah. unless the Democrats agree to massive um, spending cuts." Is yeah. basically saying it's it's really psychological more than anything else. He it, said, "It
2: is a game of political chicken." Uh, I think the Republicans and the Democrats are playing it over and over and over again. We are really getting sick of it, and uh, I think each party is daring the other to go the final yard and then say, "Let's do it, let's default." <laughs> but but I I think that uh, uh, I I don't think uh, Biden will give up his signature inflation reduction act because that that is his signature legislation it costs something like 793 billion u.s dollars that's the biggest single bill in the history of mankind <laughs> <laughs>
0: william final final words and final <laughs> thoughts from you that the debt crisis we're getting closer and closer aren't we to this ex. uh x dates, which Janet Yellen says is the first of June uh, when the Treasury yes. runs out of money. Um, are you concerned from a portfolio perspective?
3: Not not really, Peter. I think we've seen that movie, you know, many, many times, you know, before and it, it will be resolved. I think to me, uh, it has to be go back to the fundamental. I think the recession risk. Is, is prominent and people worry about it. And second is, as we discussed earlier, how quickly the manufacturing sector in China will come back. Those are the key indicators. Earning-wise, you know, I think look at JD and uh, Li Xiang and some other companies. I think the q one is, is quite good. So I think corporate earnings is on back on the right track. It's just the manufacturing and export side need more hard confidence that the second leg of recovery is on the way.
0: Thank you both very much. That's William Marr, who is chief investment officer at Grow Investment Group, and Francis Lunn, who is the CEO of Geo Securities.
1: <laughs> Peter, who is this money talk?
0: I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is director of Staten Advice down in Sydney, Australia. Morning to you, Toby. Hey, good morning, Peter. And the big news, of course, this week has been the budget. Um, and I suppose for us listening overseas, the surprise out of it seemed to be this um, this uh, trade surplus. Uh, Australia recorded a t- four point two billion Australian dollar surplus in the twelve months up until June, um, and that's the first budget surplus since the global financial crisis in two thousand and eight. So, how significant is that?
1: Well, I think it's reasonably significant, but it it it, it it's reflected in. When you do budgets, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners out there know budgets, it's what you assess the um, prices that you're going to pay for things and the money that you receive, uh, and then ultimately what ends up happening. And so what's happened in Australia is that um, the government has always um, downplayed the price at which they'll receive for commodities, and particularly in iron ore. And if those who you know iron ore prices were very, very high over the last 12 months or so, so the government's banked a significant amount more revenue uh, off the back of its commodities because they've priced in much lower prices and they've got much higher prices. So that's one factor. Secondly, the economy's done better. So again, factoring in better performance, higher wages means more tax. Uh, the economy's performed pretty well. So all of that's led to a $41 billion turnaround Um, uh, in terms of what the, the deficit would have been to, to a small surplus of around $4 billion. So it's really quite a good news story, but um, less about what the government's done and more about how um, how well we've done in terms of commodity prices and the economy outperforming what we expected.
0: And how is the government going to spend that surplus? What are its priorities?
1: Yeah, so the, so this is going to be a one-off surplus, by the way, the forward estimates have gone. It's going to go back towards uh, sort of 10 to $15 billion deficits going forward because the government's got a lot to spend money on. Uh, and in they the, the int- introduced um, a cost of living package uh, which is really uh, aimed at trying to mitigate the impact of higher inflation in Australia. So about a $14 billion program uh, aimed at lower income earners uh, and trying to reduce the inflationary impact. And this is really the point of discussion, I think, which is most interesting in this package is, you know, giving stimulus and handouts at a time when they're trying to fight inflation sounds slightly counterintuitive – but uh, clearly some support around electricity bills, um, Medicare in terms of bulk billing for, for, for those who need it. Um, at the same time, raising taxes around oil and gas, so getting more out of uh, those companies that are generating oil and gas revenues because of the prices. And also, as always, and every year it's seemingly... A increased tax in tobacco um, because uh, tobacco excise or t- tobacco taxes are really quite a big contributor to the government coffers. Um, some in the order of 13 billion comes in from tobacco. Um, uh, uh, over, the, over the course of the year. So it's quite extraordinary.
0: So it sounds like then if you look at the winners and losers in this budget, the winners are going to be the less well-off um, and the losers are going to be some of those um, unfavorable industries that are polluting and tobacco industries, those types of things.
1: Yeah, and also I guess um, what's what's also coming down the pipe are, are tax cuts that were legislated a couple of years ago. So for the middle and higher income earners, they're going to get uh, good tax cuts uh, over the course of the next because they were legislated a couple of years ago and that will you know that's got to be funded as well so the government's got a lot of uh, costs coming down the pipe they're trying to raise taxes where they can they're uh, trying to control spending where they can um overall they're in a pretty good strong fiscal position right now but uh with interest rates going up and i guess the debate now in the in the market and how the market reacts to it is this stimulus that they're throwing uh, in does it force inflation to stay higher and does it force the reserve bank to have to raise rates again and that's the debate in the financial markets at the moment
0: because we had that surprise rate increase didn't we from the from the rba just a week or so ago so presumably they'll be watching this very closely
1: yeah, so the critics of the budget will say, you know, you've just banked in another interest rate hike because you've, you know, you're creating stimulus at a time when they need to rein in demand. Um, that's a debate, uh, and we'll see what the Reserve Bank do. But as you quite rightly pointed out, uh, we did have a surprise interest rate hike, and the Reserve Bank did suggest that they had more in the pipe. We were thinking the terminal rate on on rate rises was going to be four point one percent, and we're three point eight five, so we're still probably got twenty five in. Um, And uh, the markets are probably expecting that that'll be the peak in rates. Um, So uh, yeah, this budget certainly doesn't alleviate more the inflationary story, but there's a debate on whether the actual stimulus will increase inflation or not.
0: Let's switch our attention to another country that you know well, India, where you've lived and worked. Um, the key event, I guess, this week has been the uh, the state elections in Karnataka, um, which is one of the southern um, states. The capital is Bangalore, which is uh, India's technology capital. I think, Toby, if I'm right, um, Karnataka is one of the fastest growing economic regions of of india isn't it so it's um it's a crucial state and also crucial because it's the only one in the south that's controlled uh, by the ruling bjp
1: yeah it's getting a lot of press uh, this uh, particular election because of exactly that point the incumbent uh, is uh, bjp and likely to lose to the Congress. The Congress have been uh, the party that ruled in India for many years post-independence. You know, the, the names you would un- recognize, Gandhi and Nehru, uh, are all a Congress party, and they ruled India for most of the uh, 20th century uh, post-independence. Um, They've been a shadow of themselves in the last few years as the BJP has dominated. But in Karnataka, as you quite rightly point out, um, they're um, on the verge of winning it. The exit polls are suggesting that uh, Congress will win a majority of seats but not an absolute majority in the House. Um, Just for for those listening, you mentioned Bangalore and it is is probably a city that many outside of India would recognise. But this election will have 53 million voters uh and some 3000 candidates so just the size of india really always amazes me uh and the uh, i think the results are, are coming out next week um and it's expected that the congress will win the majority of seats over the bjp which is modi's party which is the national party um but not sufficient to have a majority, which means there'll be a bit of horse trading, I imagine, in amongst the parliament. But yeah, Karnataka is is really uh, one of the fastest growing states, and driven primarily by Bangalore, which is really, as people would say, the Silicon Valley of India. Uh, and uh, most of the big IT companies that are either Indian domiciled or foreign companies are based out of Bangalore. So it's a it's I think it's forty three percent. Bangalore represents forty three percent of the Karnataka economy. And it represents 38% of India's IT exports. Mm. So it's a, it's a very important state.
0: I, I've been to Bangalore, though it was about 20 years ago, the last time I went, when it was really starting to develop as an IT hub. I guess I will be pretty shocked by how much it has developed um, since then. But it really is a, a very fast-growing, thriving city, isn't it?
1: I can tell you, I can tell you what hasn't changed is the traffic uh, <laughs> in Bangalore, uh, Pete area. If you go back, it's got no better. No matter how much infrastructure has been put in, they're still trying to get ahead of that uh, particular issue because the city is growing so greatly. But the traffic and, uh, uh, which is pretty true of most Indian uh, metro cities is, yeah, is extraordinarily challenging.
0: Does this election um, have any sort of predictive powers for, for what may happen elsewhere? Because there are elections coming up in other states, aren't there, like Rajasthan, and then, of course, general elections as well next year. Um, is, is this a, Does this foretell in, in any way what could happen in those?
1: I think it's significant in so much as, um, you know, from a national perspective, I mean, there's an election every day in India, uh, given, you know, so there's always something to watch politically in India, but from a national perspective perspective the congress have been such a you know such a shadow of themselves that actually a win here puts them pretty much as the opposition party going in against Modi for the Luxaba elections coming up uh, I think it's in 2024 so really it might be significant enough to say that the congress still has relevance and therefore can be the major opposition party to the BJP going into the national election so that's where it's significant is does it give them some oxygen to to build out in other state elections? That's something we'll be watching. But, um, yeah, so that's the significance of it.
0: And the other thing that um, is being focused on at the moment in, in India is its imports of crude oil from Russia. They rose, according to um, a study from the Bank of Baroda, they rose tenfold last year. Russian oil accounted for just 2% of India's annual crude imports in 2021. That figure now stands at almost 20%. I guess, first of all, um, this is quite a boon for the uh, for the Indian economy, isn't it, getting all this cheap oil? But also, I imagine it's being focused on quite a lot outside of India by countries like uh, the US.
1: Yeah, I think we've had this debate and discussion before, Peter, around the sensitivity of this topic for India. History, you know, uh, post-independence is, you know, India's best ally was the Soviet Union, uh, a lot of you know uh, trade and uh, infrastructure and technology and polit- political connections that existed for a long time between um, the former Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and, and of course Russia and India. So uh, it's a very sensitive one to suggest that um, the West, even in its battle with the Ukraine, can really push India to to, to change its position on Russia. Um, now, India, to that extent, is trying to play a very neutral hand. Um, you know certainly not supporting russia but uh, at the same time not um you know uh, voting against them in the un for instance uh, more standing on the fence and that's partly because they have to you know Mm -hmm. in that sense they're they're tied in militarily to soviet technology or so former soviet technology russian technology plus of course as you say imports in india needs to import uh, all of its oil and so uh, practically speaking it needs to take advantage of the situation so it's a It's a sensitive one, and I think the West have been very accommodating in that regard because India is a powerhouse going forward, and um, it's an important relationship for the West to develop. And uh, I can assure you that um, even if uh, Modi and even if the National BJP are more prone towards the West uh, as they go forward, there is still deep-seated distrust of the West, which dates back through the history of uh, uh, the Soviet Union and the socialist sort of uh, governments of india being much more aligned for a long period of time
0: um, let's switch countries once again move over to uh, the us we've had a lot of inflation data out um this week haven't we does it give the does it give any sense of comfort that maybe the fed is now winning the battle against inflation over there
1: we're close i think uh, both the cpi and the ppi were better than expected um, but they're still elevated. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that will be chewing uh, in the minds of the Fed is not to not to go prematurely to, to necessarily pause. So uh, I think they're really trying to hammer it down. So they might go one more time or they might back off and sit there. But one thing to be sure is rates are probably going to stay a bit higher. Um, interestingly, overnight, the Bank of England raised rates and said that there's not going to be a recession. So that's a negative, positive sort of spin. And I think this is similar to what the Fed are trying to achieve in the U.S., try to slow it down hard, get rates up, credit uh, demand expectation down um, and uh, hopefully be able to pause. So we're closer than we were in those inflation figures. Both CPI and PPI are pretty positive.
0: Toby, thank you very much indeed and have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is director at Staten Advice down in Sydney, Australia. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at PeterLewisMoneyTalk.Substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and John Schofield, managing director of Tempus Investments with a view from mainland China. Is Brock Silvers, CIO at Kion Capital. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.